his word has told us that we are to be gathering together and growing together and part of a church. So if that's true, what type of church? Where you know, do, do I go? Do I, do I look for a denomination? Do I, what do I look for? And then does the word of God tell us what to look for? And indeed it does. It doesn't leave us guessing there. Um, if the church is that important for salvation and sanctification and God's plans on the earth, the, the Great Commission was given to the church. Um, go into all the world. You have an individual part of that, but it's given to Christ's people, to, to the church, structured in the way that, that he does. If it's that important, he's obviously not going to leave what that church looks like or how, it's, how it functions to, you know, to chance or the whims of, uh, of men. And so we're looking in in the Word, and we're following these non-negotiable realities. And the first one is, God's voice is the one heard in the church. Number two, qualified men lead the church, and then kingdom membership is manifested in church membership, or simply stated, preaching the Word, qualified leadership, and then church discipline. And, and I told you that I think you can add a couple more there, but you could also fold them in under those three categories. I think you can add a biblical gospel, and you can add the ordinances. I think you see both of those in, in the New Testament. You could add the ordinances under church membership, church discipline, because that's part of what we do. It's how does someone enter membership into the church? How, how, how do they know that? Well, they're baptized. They, that ordinance is, I am a follower of Christ. I am one of you. I am proclaiming that before you. Before a distinct body of believers, they, they hear your testimony, you go in the water, and, and that's the entrance, the doorway, if you will. And then, on a regular basis, we gather around the Lord's table together. So the ordinances, I think, that you, you can make that part of church membership or, or church discipline. And then the biblical gospel, I think you could probably make that part of God's voice being heard in the church, or preaching the word. Because if a church is committed to the Word and hearing God's voice alone, then that voice from the Word is going to give a biblical gospel. But whether you read uh, you know, Nine Marks of a Healthy Church or any number of others, you're going to find more than, than, than three, and, and, and they're just trying to you know, bring the accordion out and expand it a little bit so you can see specific contemporary issues that, you know, that, that has fallen by the wayside in evangelicalism. So we, we've covered the Word and we covered church uh, leadership last time. So this morning we're going to look at, at membership. So look at page two, 247, if you, if you will. The bottom there. Kingdom membership is manifested in church membership. And John says this, non-negotiable means church discipline. Now, how did he get from kingdom membership to church membership to church discipline? Is that too far of a leap to, to, to make? I mean, if a church doesn't practice church discipline, but has a membership role, uh, is that enough? Or, or did they not go far enough? Uh, how do you nuance that? Um, so he says, if you want to know which church God's want, God wants you to commit to, He wants you to go where Christians are. And that may sound unhelpful, but 
But he goes on to explain. He says, there are all sorts of gatherings that don't constitute churches. Uh, no one, to my knowledge, has ever threatened to call the, the line at the grocery store a church. Let's suppose that a biblically qualified man who was called of God and gifted to teach went to a supermarket and began preaching the gospel. Is that a church? You say, that's kind of ridiculous. You respond, of course not. Um, But it would satisfy two of the three points. Um, So let's send the imaginary preacher down uh, the street to... uh, fulfill uh, numbers one and two at a wholesale membership. Now we have membership, but simple membership doesn't make it a church. So what's the difference between signing up for a club and church membership? And what he's trying to force you to do is think membership is not just saying, hey, I want to be a part of it. It's more than that. That's part of it, right? So people come to Timberlake, and you may be here in that category. You come, and you haven't joined yet. You're an attender. So you're there, and you're, 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 you're listening and trying to make that decision. That, that's totally fine. But, but you're moving toward that decision. That decision is you want to become part of the body here in, in, in membership. Well, what does that mean? Um, and that's what, he's, that's what he's aiming at. The difference is the nature of that membership. Membership in a church isn't just affirmation of the Christian to the truth of the gospel, but also an affirmation from heaven carried out on earth. Now, what does he mean by that? A lot of people with the individualistic idea, I mean, it's my decision. And it is your decision to decide which church that, that you're part of. But, but it's really me and Jesus. You know, I, I prayed the, the, the prayer. I've asked Jesus into my heart. It, it's me and Jesus, you know, and... And we don't connect that to, it is you coming under the lordship of Christ, but then Christ has his body that, that you have been baptized into, and then you are a participant in that, and, and there are specific commands and responsibilities that, that go along with it. So well, what's he doing here when he's talking about the nature of membership? It isn't just an affirmation that I believe the gospel but it's also an affirmation from heaven carried out on earth. It recognizes and affirms that members are forgiven, blood-bought sinners who have citizenship in the coming kingdom. What is he, what's he connecting there? Any ideas? Well, I kind of uh, intimated to it in the, in, in the opening. You are uh, part of, of a coming kingdom. And, and when you come to, to faith in Christ, you, you, you have a change of masters, right? The Bible says that you were of your father, the devil. You were translated out of the kingdom of darkness. And now you get to call God your father. And you were translated into the kingdom of his dear son, um, Jesus is both Savior and Lord. He's not just, I, I get my sins forgiven, but now I submit to Him. I have a new master, and, and I have a new king. And that king is coming again 
And when he comes again, he's going to set up his kingdom, and, and he's going to reign in, in that kingdom. But I'm here, and he's there, and I know that kingdom is coming, but that kingdom is reigning right now. That king is reigning right now in my heart. He could be reigning on the earth, but, but there, in, in his grace and his long-suffering mercy, he's allowing little rebels to run around without bringing them to an account. Now, he said he's fixed today in which he'll judge the world. So what is happening between when he came and the first time and when he's coming again, he's long-suffering. He wants to, wants to bring men to repentance. And so that's the reason he's delaying, and that's the reason he's allowing little rebels to run around and reject his kingship. But that king is coming. But we haven't rejected his kingship. In the church, we have embraced the, the coming king right now, and that king is reigning in our hearts. What do we pray in the Lord's Prayer? Our Father. Yeah, so our Father, and we're not praying to our old father, even though we used to live for him, Father the devil, we now have a new father. And then we, we pray what? Yeah, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. That's what we want. And there's another part of that too, isn't it? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What are we saying when we pray that? We want your kingdom to reign everywhere. Your kingdom come, we're longing for your kingdom to come and manifest itself fully and fulfill all the aspects of the covenant on the earth. We want your kingdom to come on the earth because we want your will to be perfectly done everywhere in every heart, just like it's done in heaven. Are there any rebels in heaven right now? No. His will is done perfectly immediately. There's not a hint of sin. There's not a hint of anything. And we want your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, that is going to happen whenever the kingdom comes. But right now, we're praying. When we pray that, we're saying we want that to be done in our hearts. We want our hearts to, to do your will uh, as our king, just like it's done in heaven. So when you pray that, what you're saying is, Lord, I, I want to obey you immediately, perfectly, just like the angels do, just like it's done in, in heaven right now, even though your kingdom hasn't come yet. Well, the church is part of that coming kingdom. So as you gather as an individual, the, the church is a, is a mini-gathering, if you will, of, of that, that, that coming kingdom. It, it's... You're God's people that, that that are gathered. We'll talk in Romans how how the the church and you know and, and Israel relates. But but here's the coming kingdom. We're waiting for the coming king, so we're gathering together for that for that kingdom to come. And so membership in a church is more than just putting your name on a roll or acknowledging that Jesus is your savior. It goes along with the lordship of Christ, and you're you're gathering together under that under that, that coming king. So he says here, I realize that the majority of churches in America don't practice church discipline. And I would say many don't even practice church membership or even have that idea. The consumer mentality, 
I pick the church that I want to be part of because this has a really good children's program or I really like the music or I really like the preacher or I really like whatever, the consumer mentality there. Most people are not thinking about what I just said. I have a king, there's a lord, his kingdom is coming, and I, I want to obey his voice, his voice is going to be heard, we're all going to gather together uh, as a... Um, you know, a, a prelude to that to that coming kingdom. We're aliens, pilgrims, waiting on our on our master to uh, to come. And there's a simple reason, he says, that I hold church discipline as a non-negotiable of the Church of Jesus Christ. It has to do with the nature of the church and the nature of, of discipline. Church discipline, or a better term, church membership. How does he connect that? It is the manifest delineation of those who are covered by the blood of Christ and forgiven versus those who are still living, who are still in their sins, living in an unrepentant way. And there are a few passages which teach us church discipline, and there are several others that teach us how it's how it's carried out. Now we're going to see this. We're going to walk through the specifics about church discipline, how it's carried out, and. You know, why we do it, we'll look at a couple passages here in, uh, in a minute. But how does he connect church discipline to, to church membership? You want to take a stab at that? What does he mean whenever he says um, it has to do with the nature of the church and the nature of discipline? Church discipline, or better church membership, is the manifest delineation, a, a line, it delineates those who are in the church and those who are outside of the church, or those who are in the kingdom and those who are outside of the, of the kingdom. What, how does he connect those? You may want to take a stab at that. Yeah, Mark? Submission. Okay, yeah. You're a person who is in the church is, is submitting or claiming to submit to, to the king, Right? Okay. I mean, the first thing that we think of when we think of mm -hmm. church discipline is somebody that's being put out of the church yeah. because of an unrepentant sin. And that, right. In this broader context, the discipline comes from the constant sitting under the word uh, and, and lives being transformed by that, that word, that God is. Yeah, I want to go back to what he said at the very beginning. What, Tim, you had something? Yeah. And, and how do we know who's in and who's out? And that's, that's, that's the real question. And church membership... 
or church discipline and church membership calls the church to make functional uh, discernments and decisions uh, about that. I'll go back to uh, what, what you started with. When we hear the word church discipline, we automatically think of, of, of sin that somebody has committed. And you should think of it in a broader context. It, it, yeah, there's individual sin that, that is committed, but church discipline is not just about identifying somebody's sin and putting them out of the church, as if the people in the church are the ones who are sinless. And so I've sniffed out a sin in your life, and so let me, let me get, get you away. It is about the submission to, to, the, to the king. It's about, it's about the kingdom. We'll go through this, but, but, but here's one of the ways I've, that I've found to at least just visualize it in, in, in my own mind. In, in Matthew 18, you can turn to Matthew 18. Matthew eighteen fifteen. Because here's a passage, one of the numerous passages about church discipline. Two chapters after Jesus mentions the church for the first time, Matthew 16, I will build my church. And you know this passage, verse 15, If a brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. And if he listens to you, you have won your brother. Now, is he talking about believers or unbelievers there? Professing believers or unbelievers? Believers, right? Because he says brother. You know, so this is happening in the church. A brother is going to another brother. And in that verse, um, you look at verse 16. But if he doesn't listen to you, take one or two uh, more with you so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every fact may be confirmed. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. So this is clearly brother to brother, but happening within the church. Context of the, of the kingdom. The, how the kingdom is manifested in, in, a, in a local church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, then let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. So notice the change. Change, first of all, goes from brother to a Gentile and a tax collector, an unbeliever. They're acting like an unbeliever. And this is happening within the, within the context of the church. But did you notice what is not here? What's not in, in these verses? There's not a list of sins, right? It doesn't say if your brother commits adultery or if your brother lies or if your brother is drunk or if your brother is whatever. There's no list of sins here. And the reason there's no list of sins is because it's not about the, the individual sin. I mean, that's obviously the, 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 the end result. It's the end, sin is the end result, though, of, of a lack of submission. I, I won't hear what God has said in His Word. Now think of the disconnect here. This is where the delineation is. Who's in and who's out? Who's a Christian and who's not? Is it someone who prayed and asked Jesus into their heart, but then lives however they want to live? What would we say to that? No. Not somebody who's acting like a Christian if you do that. Because a Christian is not just somebody who gives lip service. It's not somebody who just says that I have fellowship with the Father, but he who does the will of the Father. First John. We say we have fellowship with Him, yet walk in darkness. We're a carnal Christian. Is that what it says? We lie, 
and do not the truth. You've you, you got to deal with that. Okay? It doesn't mean that, that, that you are an unbeliever if you sin. But what God won't let you get away with is saying I'm a believer and then living contrary to that. You have to deal with that. And that may be the reason that a lot of people don't have assurance is because they're not living in congruence with what they're professing. And God won't allow you to remain in, in peace and assurance there. It's the worst thing you could do. He wants you to, to go, wait a minute, there's a problem here. You're saying I'm your master and yet you're not obeying me. You're saying that you're not in bondage to sin, but you're living that, that, that way. The final judgment of a heart is obviously God's. I can't see your heart. But, but that's a cop-out, too, because the Bible gives us what a heart should look like. And so in this, in this scenario, in the church, the delineation is who's a believer and who's not a believer and it has everything to do with whether you're willing to hear, right? Because there's no list of sins. Hear, hear what? Hear the voice of the king. This goes all the way back to the Shema. It goes all the way back to the fact that God's a verbal God. He speaks to his people. And his people, what, what, what makes everybody different? Uh, what, makes, what, what makes Christians different from everybody else? The whole world is obeying something or someone, and they're not obeying Christ. They're not listening to His voice. They're not following what He says. They're not acknowledging Him. But what do we do as Christians? Our eyes are open, and we now say, I believe. I obey. You're my master. You're my Lord. I want to, I want to do what you say. So now we strive to follow, strive to be, to be a disciple, to do what He says. Do we do that perfectly? No. <laughs> That's why it says if, if you sin, you have an advocate with the Father. It's also why in the church, he says, if you see your brother in sin, go to him, because we're in it together. But one of the things that you can't do is say that he's your master and then live however you want to live, out, out, out from under his voice. You can't do that, because you, you're, you're saying, I have a king and I'm part of a kingdom, but, but I'm obeying another king. We call that a traitor, right? <laughs> I mean, I'm, a, I'm an American citizen, but I want to follow what President Xi of China says. I want to do what he says. Well, what would we say to that? Well, get that guy out of here. So why in the church do we find it such a difficult time for, uh, to, when people say, I follow Jesus, he's my Savior, he's my Lord, but then they live however they want to say, and we say, ah, who am I to call them? Well, there's part of that that's a good humility. You don't want to be running around, you know, being the, the, the sin police. But when you understand this, this it, it, it's a blessing to, to them. It's, it's necessary uh, because that, that's the delineating factor. So, so what is the, the point here? Okay, this is God's voice, the only voice that's heard in the church, which is why we preach the Bible. How do we know anything about God? How do we know what to obey? Uh, I, I just had a feeling about God. I'm going to obey that. I mean, is that trustworthy? It's not trustworthy. What is trustworthy? This is trustworthy. This is God's voice. So, so somebody shares this with me and shares the gospel out, out of this. And, and then there's a moment, there's a point where I say, oh, wow, I believe that. And, and I submit to that. So now in salvation, what am, what am I doing? I'm placing myself under the Lordship of Christ. And now I'm living under 
His voice, under His Word. And I'm living my life under His Word, submitting to His Word. And whenever my heart draws me, you know, in prayer or otherwise, I bring myself back under the Word. But I can get so far away that I'm, I'm now living here, not congruent with this. And when that happens, then in the church you go and you say to your brother, this is what this says. And you try to bring him back up under the Word. And if he says, no, that's not what it says, then you take two or three witnesses and they try to bring him under. And then it goes to the church. But the whole point is bringing somebody back under the voice of Christ in obedience to the voice of Christ. And a believer... If they hear, you've gained a brother. So again, I mean, embedded in that passage is you're going to sin. And the church is part of that blessing that, that calls you on that incongruency. And if you hear, meaning, oh, wow, that is what it says, and you bring yourself back up under the Word, then, then you've gained a brother. It's confirmed that that person is, a, is, a, is part of the kingdom. How do you know whether somebody is a Christian or not? You know that because they submit to the voice of the king, of their master. And so this passage talks about the church making functional judgments. Uh, I think Jay Adams used that term years ago. You can't make a final judgment. People can fool you. They can say, oh yeah, I hear and, I, and I'll do it. But their hearts are far. You can't see somebody's heart. We, we can deceive ourselves. But the church is called to make a functional judgment about your life and the Word. Do those two things match up? The final judgment, obviously, is God's. And that's the reason we make functional judgments. Because if you, if you do that now, everything can be, can be rightly aligned. But when that final judgment is made, it's over. Like, like when that's done, God will declare, you, you were mine or depart from me, I never knew you. And there's no options after that. It's fixed. So the, the, the reason that you connect church discipline with church membership is, is that very point. It is a visible manifestation of the kingdom where individual citizens of the kingdom are listening to the voice of the king, obeying the voice of the king, living under the voice of the king, and we're constantly bringing ourselves under that, under that voice. Does that make sense? Questions, comments about, uh, about that. All right. Look, if you would, at some of these passages. We, we know probably Matthew 16, and we just read 18. Somebody turn to Titus 3, 10 and 11. Here's, some, here's an example Everybody turn there, but somebody would be willing to read it for me. Here's an example of somebody who's not acting under the voice, incongruent with, with, with the king. And there can be damage that's done in the, in the kingdom. It's a passage of an example of church discipline in the Bible.
All right, so here's Titus. Paul's writing to Titus. Go to Crete. It doesn't even have elders. Church is out of order. Uh, you need to uh, 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 properly align it, and part of that proper aligning or putting things in order is to, to ordain elders. Here are the qualifications for the elders. Here's some other things you're going to teach them. And, and in that letter, he gives an example of, of declaring someone out side of the kingdom and and notice what uh, notice some, some some things about this passage reject a factious man after the first and second warning it kind of lines up with Matthew 18 doesn't it going to him taking witnesses and then the person is is rejected what's happening with this factious man I mean, what, what what what's the problem here is the problem that he's a factious man well yeah but but there's a it's a bigger problem. If he's a factious man and he and he submits after the first warning, is everything okay? Yeah. So it's after the second warning. So he's not listening. He's, he's refusing to hear, right? Knowing, meaning what can we observe about this person, about this factious man, who refuses to listen, refuses to hear, refuses to repent, what, what, what can we observe about him? Well, here it is in verse 11. Knowing that that kind of man is perverted and is sinning. He's being self-condemned. He's self-condemned. He, it's not the church being mean to him. He's doing this to himself because he refuses to, refuses to hear. So we reject a factious person, somebody who's argumentative, um, who self-oriented, causing trouble, discord, um, doctrine ungodly in, uh, in, their, in their approach. Um, Turn back to 1 Timothy 1, 18-20. Here's another example of church discipline. 1 Timothy 1, 18-20. Remember, Paul's writing to Timothy, who has oversight of this church in Ephesus. And as Paul writes to him, he's dealing with some issues in Ephesus. So he says, uh, This command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you by them, that you fight the good fight, keeping the faith of good conscience, which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. So they have rejected, meaning at some point they didn't reject. And then he says, among these, so there's more than just the ones that he mentions here, among these, he names two of them, Hominius and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan so that they will be taught not to blaspheme. So Paul names two individuals here that have got to the, the last stage of church discipline. They've been put out of the church. 
because they refuse to hear a brother, they refuse to hear the witnesses, they refuse to hear the church as a whole, and they are blaspheming, and so they've been handed over to Satan. What does that mean? Declared, you are not acting like a believer. And this church makes that declaration because heaven has already declared what a believer looks like. And that's the point of Matthew 16. The keys of Peter and whatever is bound in heaven will be bound on earth, and whatever is loosed in heaven will be loosed on earth. It's a perfect paraphrastic there. It's just saying, whatever heaven has bound, you bind. You make that declaration. Whatever heaven has loosed, you declare that as loosed, meaning the word of God, the voice of God is the rule. So we're, we're not making... Uh, the church is not the one who determines who goes to heaven and hell. The church is just declaring what God's already said about who goes to heaven and hell, who's living there. So Paul has made that declaration about this man, these men, because they rejected, they, they refused. So that's 1 Timothy. Turn over to uh, 2 Timothy, chapter 2, verse 16. Now this is the second letter, the last letter few years between them, Paul writing to Timothy at the same church, same place. Watch what happens here. 2 Timothy 2, 16 through, through 18. 16. But avoid worldly and empty chatter, for it will lead to further ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. So, gives this graphic illustration, and he's talking about church discipline here. Gangrene, dead tissue in the body, corrupted tissue that will spread to the rest of the body, kill the body. If it's not dealt with, if it's not cut out, um, it'll destroy the whole body. So, so their talk uh, will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus. And notice he doesn't say Alexander. Hymenaeus and Philetus. Men whom have gone astray from the truth. Notice it's about straying from the truth. Out from under the voice of God. Saying that the resurrection has already taken place and they upset the faith of, of some. So now he identifies one of the things that they're, that they're rejecting and, and they're saying. Nevertheless... The firm foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are His, and everyone who names the name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness. You hear how that's connected to church discipline? God knows who's in the kingdom and who's not, and He's already declared who's in the kingdom and who's not, based upon those who hear His voice and abstain from, from wickedness. That's laid out in the, in the Word. So one of the things I want you to notice here is Hymenaeus is listed in both places, but the gangrene has spread. It's, it's moved from Alexander, and now it includes another man named Philetus. So there's somebody else who's now being placed out of the church. So here's an example of how dangerous it is to a church if you don't actually deal with factious men or, or, or men that have uh, bad doctrine or, or otherwise. Well, again... Uh, Simple principle. None of us know everything that we need to know. We're all in the process of growing. There's not talking about ignorance here. 
Um, there's a difference, though, between somebody who doesn't know and somebody who's being rebellious. Ignorance is not rebellion. It's not equated. So it may be totally fine if you're wrestling through a doctrine and you're going, wow, I'm hearing pastor preach this and it seems very clear in the Bible, but I don't know that I believe that. And that, that that's, a, that's one thing. You're wrestling through it. You're trying to figure it out. It's another thing to say, I know that's what pastor's preaching, and I, and that, I see where it says that, but that's not what I believe. That's a problem. You've got you to figure that out. So, so and if you come to the place where you say, I see that's what it says, but that's not what I believe, now that's rebellion. That's a problem. So ignorance and wrestling and trying to figure it out is okay. Coming to a settled position where you reject clearly what the Word of God says is, is not okay. It shows that you're, you're, you're self-oriented. You want your own way. and You won't submit to what God says, even though it says something that you may not like. Um, you know, to hear. I think I've given you the illustration before of the first church that I pastored. There was a woman who was on the pulpit committee. I didn't know that. I didn't even know it was the pulpit committee whenever I went there. They just, I preached for them twice, and then they say, hey, could you come uh, Tuesday night for a meeting? And um, we'd like to talk to you about, about some things, preaching, you know, otherwise. And they'd already said they may want me to fill the pulpit more, so that's the what I thought it was. I went there. It's the pulpit committee. And they're saying, well, the reason we called you here is this is the pulpit committee, and we want to know whether you would whether you'd be willing to consider pastoring the, you know, the church. I'm like, well, I'm still in seminary. I'm not looking to pastor any church. And, just, and the first question that was asked, uh, before we do, we've got a couple questions for you. Would you mind answering a couple questions? Well, I'm not committing to this process, but you can ask me whatever you want. The first question was asked by the woman. What is your position on women in ministry? Well, the Bible says that a woman shouldn't be a pastor, shouldn't be an elder, and in that context shouldn't be a deacon based on the way that they would, would view deacons, and she's not to teach in the church or serve authority over, over men. That's, that's God's position. I try to align with, you know, with God's position. And she didn't ask any questions after that. Other people did. Um, and in that process, I ended up becoming the pastor of that church. After discerning and talking to them about where they were, no one had ever taught them that specifically. And they were willing to hear that. So I had to make a, a determination. Am I willing to go here, and are they willing to submit? And the determination was they're just ignorant but they're not in rebellion. But this is where we're going, because this is what the Bible says, and this is, what we would, this is where we would go, where I'm going to take us as a, as a church. Are you okay with that? Yeah, yeah, we're okay with that. So over a year process, we went through that process. That lady was there and, and remained, and I never will forget getting to uh, this, this end process where uh, I, I preach Titus 2, uh, the very first two sermons that I preached in the church, one was Mother's Day on Titus 2, and these are the role of women, and a, a woman literally got up toward the end of the service and ran out of the church crying, listening to Titus 2. No one had ever told her what the Bible said about a role of a woman. 
And then another lady pulled me in the broom closet after the service and says, how could you do that? Did you not see what you did to her? Yeah, well, I have no idea why, why she's even crying. I didn't know why she left the church. I, I, I really do not know that this is just revolutionary to, to her at, at that point. Of, you made her cry. I'm like, what did I do? I just, I just preached Titus 2. I, I didn't do anything other than just say what it said, and I wasn't being ugly or you know, women. or I mean, I just preached what it said. Um, the second service, a 35-year-old woman came to Christ. And, um, a number of other people did. Through that whole process at the end, I'm sitting in a Sunday school room downstairs, standard Southern Baptist type of, of church. You have the upstairs and then downstairs the Sunday school rooms. And I'm sitting in a Sunday school room at a table with an open Bible with this woman. And um, I think her husband's there. And we're sitting there and we're looking at Titus I'm sorry, 1 Timothy 2. And we're going back and forth. What it says here about the, the role of an official teacher in the church. And, and I mean, you've heard saying what I've taught according to the scriptures. I say this, I've said the same thing then. Women bear the image of God. They're, they're, they're un, uniquely gifted and distinct. There's no, no differentiation. We're not uh, the, the better of the two. We... I mean, God has exalted them, and He's just created them in specific ways. You're, you're, you know, you're honorable, and we're going through all of those kinds of things. But God has distinctly given the role to, to men to, to teach and, and, and elder in the church. And you don't want to violate the creation order, violate the vessel, a woman doing that. And in frustration... She says, I know that's what it says, but that's just not what I believe. And I can remember this moment, like, wow, I don't know that I've ever heard somebody say that. Out loud. I mean, you've act, people have acted that way, but out loud. Like, yes, I know, that's, that's what that says, but that's not what I believe. And I just remember saying, well, I don't know what else to say. I mean, that's the nuclear option. I mean, that... That's all I got. I, 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 I don't have anything else other than what it says here. And very cordial. We ended that, that conversation, and not long after that, she left the church, and her husband went with her, and they went, they went somewhere else. And honestly, as I look back on that, I, I think that she was a genuine believer. I, I, I do. I, I mean, there wasn't, she, she was never ungodly in the process. It wasn't like, I am woman, hear me roar, or anything like that. Um, she grew up in, in a home that was very unbiblical, around very ungodly men. And she stumbled over, over the idea of submission and leadership because... Of people in her family um, being sinful, horribly sinful, um, and she just wasn't ready at that point to, you know, to, to hear that truth. If that's my assessment, um, the way that she approached it, or you know, or otherwise. And my point to that is, the Bible's all we have, and and, and you have to determine what it says. 
And once you determine what it says, like you, you can't stay in this middle position. Well, maybe it says that or maybe... If it's something that you won't submit to, you have to determine what does it say. What does pastor say, but what does it say? What's the text say? And then you've got to decide whether you're going to submit to that or not because that is the, the very nature of what it means to be a Christian. I'm hearing the voice of God and I'm submitting to the voice of God. And you can wrestle through stuff for, for, for a long time. Ignorance is not rebellion. But if you know what it says and you refuse, then that is rebellion. And some change has to, um, has to take place. So he says, in order to prove that church discipline is not just right, but actually a non-negotiable, I'm going to focus primarily on two passages in Matthew. And he gives us this list here. Discipline is for the purpose of purity of the church. Discipline is loving to the church. Discipline is loving to the person that's being disciplined. So we've kind of talked about the purity of the church and it's loving to others because it's like gangrene if you leave somebody in the church. But he says, I'm going to presume that you agree with the first two points. I see how membership and discipline relates to purity and how it's loving to others, but the third is where people usually stumble. The reason the, the process of discipline is loving to the person being disciplined is twofold. That, that, that's really where it is. Is church discipline loving? You know? Because the person that's going out the door is going, you're not loving, you're judgmental, blah, blah, blah. You know, how could you do this? I came to you for help. You didn't help me. You aired my sin before everybody else. Um, and if you're preparing for ministry, that's one of the things that you've got to prepare for because that's coming. Um, you've got to be able to be the hero or the zero and usually at the same time. You've got to be able to be the hero in the sense that, you know, God's using you to, to transform somebody else's life and you've got to be able to do that without being lifted up in pride or thinking it has anything to do with you whatsoever. The other thing you've got to be able to do is take criticism because it's coming. In, 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 in large portion. Simple example, you may not be a complaining person. You may only give one crossword or one complaint in an entire year in a church. And if that's you, praise God. You know, um, There are people who give more than one. But let's just say everybody in Timberlake Baptist Church gave one complaint a year the elders would hear 600 complaints in a year or criticisms or otherwise. You've got to be able to, to deal with that. And if you struggle dealing with that, I would recommend to you Clay Mackey's equipping class on, on Sunday night, the fear of God and the fear of man, uh, because that's really where the issue would, um, would lie. Isn't that the, typically, though, where people struggle? Is, is this a loving thing to do? Church is a, is a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints? Or what, is that how it goes? I know it's a hospital for sinners. I forget the other part of it. Um, how is it loving to, to discipline a person? And make that, make that clear. Well, that's what we'll cover next time because we don't have time to go into it. So closing comments or thoughts.
Yes, sir. Okay. It's a great question, and uh, I'm not putting you off, but I'll just say this before I give an answer. The second part of this it gets into real practical details. So the next lesson that goes along with it is like, when do you do it? How do you do it? What if? What about if the person's a member of my immediate family, but also a member of the church? I mean, it's all kinds of practical things. But what you just said is one of the, you know, one of the the fundamental issues. And so you're treating them as an unbeliever meaning that you want to evangelize them, but even in that, there's lines, you know, cast your pearls before the swine and, and other things. So if you have somebody who's hostile to the gospel, you know, who's spitting nails at, at you and is attacking the church, then they're not in, in any condition to evangelize them, you know. And so under that scenario, I, I just think you're, you know, you're truthful. I, I don't have associations with somebody who is like Hymenaeus and, you know, and, and Alexander or, or otherwise, because... Satan is going to have to destroy their flesh, meaning if God's going to save them, they're, they're, they're elect and he's going to save them or bring them back or whatever, then there's going to be some crushing consequence that comes in their life. A lot of times God has to tear somebody down before he can build them up, crush their pride, you know, whatever it is. And so uh, uh, the principle in, in 1 Corinthians 8 about uh, what should you do if you're in uh, an unbeliever's home and you're there with another believer and they put idol meat in front of you, do you eat it or not? Do you offend the unbeliever who's putting the idol meat in front of you, even though you know there's no such thing as an idol, and say you have a young believer here who's unsure and their conscience might be, uh, might be um, they might stumble. Their conscience might be offended because they're watching you, a more mature believer, eat idol meat, and they came out of it. Who do you offend? That's one of the things Paul deals with there. He says offend the unbeliever rather than your brother. So what you don't want to do in, ah, oh, they're unsaved, and I want to win them to Christ. You don't want to communicate to them or the unbelieving world. It's more important to be a believer. There's a greater deference to unbelievers. In fact, it's just the opposite. The unbelieving world should see how we love each other even greater than, than, than anybody else. So in church discipline, you talk about my church, you begin to tear down the, the brethren in my church, we're done until... I, now, I'll share the gospel with you, but I'm not going to pander to you while you tear down the church of the living God, the bride of Christ. You know, Adrian Rogers gave a practical example. I wouldn't let you come in my home and slander Tracy talk about how dirty the house was or, you know, any other things. I'd put you out. Um, why in the world do we let people, professing Christians, why do we invite them in our church or in our lives and tear the church of the living God down? It's, 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 Jesus shed his blood for it. 
You know, so I think there's some principle in there that you know that that you apply, and and then again, there's obviously a bandwidth that you have to, you know. So yeah, it's a great question because that happens, you know, um, and and one of the hard things that the elders have to do in a disciplined matter is going through that process of hearing because it's a willing to hear and not everybody hears the first time I mean did you come to Christ the first time you heard the gospel no you know and and if you're embedded in a sin or struggling with something you may not listen or hear the first time somebody says hey this is sin you shouldn't do this oh okay you know I mean sin's entangling and it can be hard may fall to it over and over, or you, you may need a long runway. So in that process, the elders know what has to happen, but they're bringing them back under the truth over and over and over. And how long do you bear with a person? Sometimes it could be a long time. Because some sins, sins of the mind, are really hard to overcome. Others are very clear. It's, it's action, and it's going to going to pollute the church it's going to hurt the church and so whoosh, there's got to be a clear break because the, the the you know the glory of christ is at stake the clarity of the gospel is at stake so until you stop doing that specific behavior that action it's so public it's so obvious like in first corinthians 5 where you you know what this guy's doing is claiming to a believer gentiles unbelievers don't even do and he's in the church whoosh, no sins of the mind struggling you know, um, lusts, uh, desires, uh, um, bad thinking can be hard. And so you're shepherding somebody, working with them, you know, and the elders are doing that. But, but at what point do they become a danger to the body? You know, where the shepherds have to care for the sheep more than this, this one here. And that's hard to discern. There's not a, oh, I'll do it for a year and then it's done. They, so you're trying to discern that. And they don't even always know what's going on in their own heart. Um, so that's where uh, members pray for the elders in that process, if they know. And then always, 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 always remember as members. What you know about a situation is like that. If the elders have been dealing with somebody for a year, there's dump truck loads of information that you don't know. So you're making a decision about being offended by what they do or, or, or making a judgment call about why they did this or why they didn't wait, and you know nothing about it because they can't tell you that. Uh, it would be wrong for them to do that. And even if they could tell you everything, you haven't lived through the one year of three-hour counseling meetings and, you know, and, and whatever else. Not to say that elders are, in, that are you know, perfect judges, that's why you pray for us, but you don't know you know, what's going on. And it is when people go out the door and they don't listen, they typically try to drag anybody else that's a weak sheep, you know, with them. So uh, the old saying, when somebody leaves a church, there's always the three reasons, the reasons they tell you, the reasons they tell everybody else, and then the real reason. And you almost never know the real reason. But the ones that are disgruntled and, and are refusing to listen to Christ and are sinning, why in the world would they care about hurting the church? So they're going to tell you all kinds of stuff. Um, just follow First Timothy, you know, five. Don't receive an accusation against an elder except out of the mouth of two or three witnesses. Something that's confirmed. Practice the Bible, you know, in that case. And I, I don't even listen to it. Like, you're going to tell me something about something that I can't corroborate or confirm. You're going to talk about, you know, a, another brother, another elder. Stop. I don't want. I don't want to hear it. Um, 
because I can't know that. Now you just put that in my head, and, and, and now I've got to carry that, carry that around, and there's nothing to do with it. In fact, it can taint you know, what, 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 I, what I think. And so, yeah, it's good. Thanks for pushing my button there. It's great. Well, let me pray for you guys, and we'll, we'll talk more about next time. Father, I thank you that though we are great sinners, you are an even greater Savior. And I do thank you that you, you call us um, as we are in our sin. The part of your calling is you don't leave us there. You, you cleanse us and you call us to submit to you and then walk. I thank you for the church and what you have built into the church to help us overcome our sin and become more like you. I thank you for elders. I thank you for for this church. And I pray that you would help us always to be clear with the scriptures, which is the most loving thing that we can do. As we do, I pray you'd fill us with compassion and mercy. We want to err on the side of mercy, Lord. Um, those who are merciful, you're merciful with them. And the opposite. Um, we want to be forgiving. We want to be all those things that you are. Help us to be that. Um, but help us, Lord, not to allow that to keep us from doing what, what you've said. Bless these men, me, as we go throughout our day. May we submit to your lordship in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen.